Warning, the Federal Communications Commission requires that we inform you that this episode of the Derek Duvall Show may contain content inappropriate for children. Listener discretion is advised. The FCC also requires us to inform you that this episode may contain the words f***, s***, asshole, mother boy, dumpster, galloping quit, but in like a British way, and also, strangely, cul-de-sac. Once again, this show may contain content not suitable for anyone but the coolest children. Listener discretion is advised. Powered by Transistor FM. Welcome to Friends, Foes, and Neither. Do not adjust your podcatcher settings, as what you are about to hear is real. It's the Derek Duvall Show. Prepare yourself for insightful interviews with incredible people. Join us now as we delve ever deeper into the human condition. And now, coming to you live to tape from the Derek Duvall Production Bunker, it's Derek Duvall! Hello, Duvall Nation. Hello. Hey, everybody. Thank you so much. Please sit. Thank you. Hello, Duvall Nation, and welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. We are back with another fantastic journey into the lives of extraordinary people. This episode is brought to you today by the fine folks at BetterHelp. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service. It's 100% online. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's better, H-E-L-P.com slash Derek Duvall Show. So before we jump into this episode, I want to say a huge thank you to my last guest, Nancy Deitch. What a really nice lady and a great guest, and I was amazed at how well our episode was received. If you've not had a chance to hear our in-depth interview, I strongly advise you to check it out after the conclusion of this episode. So welcome to episode 174, and we have a fantastic episode lined up for you today. We have on the show Jeff Seckendorf, a world record cyclist and scuba instructor. Jeff will be talking about what drives him on the bike, his years working in the film industry, his career as a scuba instructor, and so much more. Jeff is a great guest, and I cannot wait for you to hear his story. So let's just get him out here. Duval Nation, please join me and welcome to the show. Calling in today from his home in San Diego, California, world record holder in cycling and scuba instructor, Jeff Seckendorf. Jeff, hello. Welcome to the Derek Duvall Show. How is the weather out by you today? You know, I'm in San Diego, and it's uncharacteristically... I was talking to a buddy of mine in Great Britain today, and it was kind of like their weather. So normally, it's perfect. Today, it's a little gray. I lived in San Diego for five years when I was in the Navy, and yeah, I miss it every day. It's a miraculous place to live. I have it stories really about living here that I just, I just love it here more than everything. I miss the Gaslamp District. I used to just live in that area. So much, just so much fun to live there. You were in Coronado, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, I was. So North Island. Yeah. Close over there. That's good. Yeah. That's great. So I start my interviews off the same way. And that is, how has it been for you to navigate the COVID-19 pandemic up to this point? You know, that's a really interesting question because, you know, we kind of look at the pandemic as pretty much being over. I mean, I just got back the other day from a, a long trip to Argentina a couple of weeks and we didn't see a mask. So it's, you know, I kind of feel like it's over. On the other hand, I have this company, 
UTD scuba diving. And I bought out my partner in the end of 2019. So I own it solely now. And it was great. We've got this company. We're going to re-energize it, rebuild it, get it back. And then COVID hit. Mm. And at first we're like, oh, crap. No one's going to go diving for who knows how long. But then it actually turned out to be a blessing for us because it gave us this big window of like six or eight months to really do the company rebuild mm -hmm. without any pressure. So, I, I mean, there's a lot of bad things about the pandemic, but personally, it it was, you know, the, the logistics of what happened in the, in the universe were actually okay for me until we got to where we were done. And the pandemic wasn't. <laughs> so, you know, we did have a little tough time at the end of that trying to get people back in the water and get scuba back on on people's radar. But yeah, no, I mean, I lived through a pandemic. Hell, yeah, not not. I mean, I don't know how many people I guess a lot of people can say that. <laughs> so every journey has a beginning. Where were you born? And what was it like to grow up there? I'm a, a New York City born guy. But at about age two, my folks took me to upstate New York in the Albany area. And I lived in Albany and Saratoga Springs for, I don't know, next 40 plus years or so. And then uh, around 2005, six, seven, I started commuting to LA. Then I eventually moved to LA and then I came down to San Diego, I don't know, 2009 or something like that. So were you always wanting to be a pilot or was that something that you just were interested in pursuing as a hobby? You know, I, I seem to have some weird quip about everything today. <laughs> I was working as a stills photographer um, right in the middle of that airline deregulation period in 1979. And I just thought, man, if I could get a pilot's license, I can really stick it to U.S. Air. And uh, of course, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars later, they got theirs. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was kind of the impetus. But then I went on to become a sport pilot, aerobatic competition pilot, flight instructor, you know, aerobatic coach, all that aviation really was a big part of my life for many, many years. And, uh, and I love it. I'm still actually current as a flight instructor. That's awesome. Yeah. So then at what age did you become a scuba enthusiast? That was in the mid late eighties. You know, again, I was in the film industry and I was had an opportunity to teach this underwater cinematography class if I was scuba certified. So, you know, I took the class one winter and Got certified in a 42-degree lake in upstate New York. And, um, yeah, started diving. And then, you know, of course, flying took over as my sort of hobby. Mm -hmm. And then when I moved to California, flying, uh, it's, it was so bloody expensive. And really, when I got out to L.A., there was no place I needed to go that, that Southwest Airlines didn't go to, you know, at the time for $49. So looking for something else, I got back in the water. And one thing led to another, became an instructor, and then this opportunity to um, be, become a, a founder of UTD Scuba Diving came up. And so it's been my career since 2008. So for someone who's never been in the water, and they actually see, you know, you see scuba diving in movies and such, how hard is it to learn to breathe underwater with a regulator? I think that depends on your instructor, hmm. in all honesty. Um, it's just breathing. Mm -hmm. The difference is there are elements of breathing that can be troublesome, right? There's pressure differentials that you have to deal with. And um, the breathing is what controls your buoyancy in the water. 
So to go up, you breathe in, to go down, you breathe out. So breathing has this additional element of um, not just keeping you alive, but controlling your buoyancy. And if you learn it from that basis, where you learn to breathe properly first to control your buoyancy in the water, your depth in the water, then it's so simple and so mm -hmm. elegant. And of course, you know, you're, you're basically weightless. You're in this beautiful environment. You're going places where people can't normally go. You're a, you know, a visitor in a world filled with creatures that can't see when you're driving to Starbucks. That's awesome. So you mentioned your diving school earlier. What led you to found United Team Diving? And can you explain to my listeners what the company does exactly? Yeah, it's Unified Team Diving, formerly. Now it's UTD Scuba Diving. The um, I was in the film industry for like 30 years. That was my job. You know, all this other stuff, flying, diving, cycling, all that was kind of hobbies and things I did because most people in the film industry, you know, their, their full-time job is looking for work and part-time job is working. And I was one of those. So I spent, you know, years becoming successful in the film industry as a director of photography on movies and a director cameraman on commercials. And then, you know, it was like 15 years to get in and then 15 years to try to get out. It was a weird trajectory for me. I was successful, but I was never massively successful. Um, you know, I had a really good run. I did great movies. I won lots of awards, things like that. But um, I was looking for a way out. And education had always been a part of this journey for me. Education in the film industry, being a flight instructor, being a scuba instructor. Um, I ran a, or started and ran a company called One-on-One -on -one Film Training while I was making movies which was basically a mentoring program for up and coming directors to work with them on how to visually tell their story. So I had this whole big education thing and I was just looking for an education company. And one of my, you know, technical scuba instructors came along and one thing led to another and he wanted to start a training agency. And he certainly had all the diving part of it. And I had some of that, but I had a lot of the education part. So it was a pretty good fit. Mm. So, you know, I started an education company that happened to do scuba. It could have happened to do brain surgery or car mechanics. Or I, I, you know, I just wanted to do something cool, something with education, something where I could, you know, write content, stuff like that. So if someone's listening to this interview today and is interested in getting into scuba diving, what mm -hmm. sort of advice would you have for them? Do it. That's Simple not a, that's a no brainer and <laughs> just do it. Yeah. Go to a shop, find an instructor, get in the water. And, um, I guess the guidance, I mean, certainly you can check us out, UTD scuba diving, but I think the guidance would generally be you get what you pay for. So doing a $99 Groupon class may not be the best solution for a long-term career in scuba diving. You know, we, we talk a lot about the law of primacy, which is the first thing you learn is the thing you remember most. And so if you learn scuba properly, you'll, you'll stick with it for much, much longer. The scuba industry has a huge problem with retention right now. Mm. People learn, go for two dives and never come back. The gear goes on eBay. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, I, I really put it down to the instructors. 
It's like if you're pounded through a class and the water's crappy and you're not really taught well how to dive and you're dragged through it, that's like, well, it doesn't, it's, it's recreation. It's supposed to be fun. Right. You know, so we try to make it fun, safe and fun. That's the thing about scuba. So find an instructor who makes you laugh and you think you'll trust and you're going to want to hang out with for 40 hours and, you know, make the process of learning to dive fun. And then I think diving will be a really cool thing for a long time. That's awesome. So switching gears, you are also a world-class cyclist. And I believe you hold the world record for the world six-hour time trial championships. Yeah, we were, yeah, (laughs) yeah. In 2020, what about competing in cycling? Do you enjoy so much? You know, cycling's hard. Bike racing is hard, harder than I ever thought it would be. And I didn't race as a kid. I didn't really race, you know, on a bike until I was, you know, in my late fifties as a master's athlete. And my whole career, you know, both in the film industry and in scuba, it's been hard, but not really hard. You know, making movies came easily to me, building the scuba company, although there were lots of trials and tribulations and sweat and tears and all other stuff. It kind of came easily to me. Flying competition of aerobatics somehow came easily to me. Bike racing does not come easily to me. You know, putting my body at that level of stress And I think more importantly, putting my mind at that level of commitment is really hard. You know, anybody can go for a bike ride. It's super fun. I do it all the time. Easy, fun, social. But, you know, when you get into training and you get into the hard stuff, it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life times 100. Mm. So that challenge drives me. So what inspired you to train 12 to 15 hours a week for a an hour record, which is one of the hardest things apparently you can do in cycling. Yeah. You know, I've been racing on the track for a while and, and I love the velodrome. I love the, the control that you have. There's no cars, you know, if it's indoors, there's no wind. The surface is perfect. It's meditative because you're going around in a circle for hours. Um, there's a lot of strategy in track racing. Like there is another, other racing, but, um, track racing traditionally is short. The efforts are short, um, you know, probably anywhere from, you know, two, well, even short sprints, but two to like 10 minute races is kind of the norm at the master's mm-hmm. level. And my physiology, my body, my mindset likes to go longer. You know, I can be explosive for two minutes, you know, two and a half minutes to race a two, 2000 meter bike race on a track, but where I seem to do better is on longer events. Well, there aren't that many longer events on the track. You know, there's just nothing much out there that is competitive. But the hour record, it's like, as you said, it's iconic. You know, it's been going on since the 1800s. It's not a sprint, but it's not an endurance event. It's a max out effort for an hour. Mm -hmm. It's insane in a lot of ways. (laughs) There's a crazy element to it because you put yourself, you know, in this, this hole that is really difficult. And, you know, when I look at me personally and the challenges that I've had in my life, nothing has been like this, mentally or physically. And so, you know, I'm on a five-year track to see if I can pull this off when I'm 70 in two years. Hmm. We'll see. 
You look good for your age, for the record, by the way. People can't <laughs> well, see you, but I'm going to tell you right now, you look good for your age. All right. Well, thanks. <laughs> we're, we're, we're doing an audio podcast. So. Okay, Duval Nation, we're going to go ahead and take a small break right here, but we will be right back with the conclusion of this interview with Jeff Seckendorf. May I suggest you take this time to refresh that drink and take some super long deep breaths. You know that's right. Cluzo style. Please give your attention to a few friends of my show and we will be right back. Hi, I'm Kay. And I'm Jay. We all know that a lot of us spend most of our waking hours at work. So naturally, the majority of our stories come from the many different characters and situations we run into at the workplace. Because of this, we bring you the Fuck My Work Life podcast. On this podcast, we will be sharing your stories from the workplace, no matter what they may be, so we can all laugh and commiserate together. Does someone at work have horrible habits? Crazy bosses that have no idea what they're doing? Hilarious blow-ups from coworkers? Even if you just need to rant, we want to hear it. Everything will be completely anonymous, so don't be afraid to spill your guts. That's right. All names of people and companies will not be disclosed, so send us your best. No story is too small. Email your stories to fmwlpod at gmail.com. That's fmwlpod at gmail.com. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so be sure to subscribe or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your pods. For more fun content, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at fmwlpod. We can't wait to hear from you. Bye. Hello, Duval Nation. Derek Duval here. Mental health is not only a top priority in my life, but it should be in yours too. As a combat military veteran, I have seen what untreated mental health looks like, which is why I've been using a therapist for well over a decade. Seeing a trusted therapist has helped me reconcile life events and other important things I've been witness to since returning home from the service and has changed my life for the better in many ways. Which is why going forward, I am pleased to announce that BetterHelp will be sponsoring The Derek DeBall Show. BetterHelp is the world's first therapy service and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then, you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions when it's convenient for you. If your therapist isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you can expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you. More scheduling flexibility and at a more affordable price. Get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. That's BetterHelp.com slash Derek Duvall Show. Hi, this is Glenn. And this is Sonia from Echo Valley. And you are listening to The Derek Duvall Show. Here's a song called Faces in the Mirror from our album Anarchy and Alchemy. This is Benjamin Sledge, author of Where Cowards Go to Die. 
In my award-winning memoir, you'll discover the raw humanity, intricate complexity, and brutal barbarity of those who served in the Iraq and Afghan wars, and the psychological toll it took on modern veterans. You can purchase Where Cowards Go to Die on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or anywhere major books are sold. Look for me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Benjamin C. Sledge. Teachers, do you ever have these feelings or have been told these things? Do you want Kleenex for your classroom? Maybe you should think about buying your own with your own money. You get the summer off, you can have a second job. Do you really need a pay raise? Oh, do you need to use the restroom? Maybe you can do that in the three minutes while students are changing classes. Boy, sure hope your room doesn't descend into Lord of the Flies in that time. Oh, things are going pretty good for one. Surprise! Budget cuts! Well, you're in luck because we've got a book just for you. Hi, everyone. It's Katie Kinder, educator, speaker, and author of Untold Teaching Truths. I invite you to purchase my book and join this journey as we talk about the wild world of public education. Part memoir, part strategy. It is available on BookBaby, Amazon, or wherever books are sold. Teach on Warriors. We've got this. 17.9 cycles ago, us machines defeated the humans. Now, we're living the good life here in Droidston, Manitoba. Morning, Gif! Morning, Dust! But there's still the problem of human infestation. That's what it's time to call Human Be Gone. Human Be Gone! Wherever you get your podcasts. Human Be Gone! Hey, it's Michelle Fabre, and you're listening to The Derek Duval Show. You can hear my brand new single, I'm All That I Need, on all streaming platforms right now. Hello everyone, this is Janae Sergio, life coach, combat veteran, and best-selling author. I invite you to purchase my new book, Perfectly Flawed, a veteran's journey from homeless to hero. In these pages, you will learn about the lowest struggles of my life to the absolute triumphs that have made me the strong woman I am today. Follow along as I talk about homelessness, my naval role in Operation Enduring Freedom, navigating insurmountable odds, and how I dealt with and overcame them. You can find Perfectly Flawed on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or wherever books are sold. Welcome back to episode 174 of the Derek Duvall Show. Let's get right back to it with the conclusion of our interview with world record holder in cycling and scuba instructor, Jeff Seckendorf. All right, so can you explain your philosophy on process versus outcome? Oh, yeah. Is this a seven-hour podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Because it might take that long. You know, I've been through so many ups and downs on this concept. You know, we talk about process. That is the training, the prep, the things that go into, you know, creating something. And that something is the outcome. Uh, When I was in the film industry, we talked about writers and the fact that, you know, a lot of writers would say the best thing about writing is having written. Right. Because they want the script done, but they hate the process. Right. Right. Which, and if you hate the process, 
you know, getting the script done, that takes like 10 seconds to push the print button. But doing the work could take a year. If you hate the year and you love the 10 seconds, uh, you know, that just doesn't line up with going back to the fun thing. It's like, that's not fun, you know, suffering for a year so you can, you know, push a button that says print and probably have a script that won't sell. So, so process, you have to love the process. If you're going to race a bike, and again, I'm going to do a one hour event or a two and a half minute event or something like that. I'm going to train for months for that. If I hate the training, if I hate the process, if I hate getting up in the morning, if I hate going out in the cold, you know, I just went to the gym this morning. I did a ton of plyometrics. Plyometrics are hard, you know, jumping on boxes and things like that. Um, If you hate that or you don't want to do it and you suffer through it to go have a little glory on a race, it kind of takes the fun out of life. So for a long time, I was really about process only. The process is everything. The outcome if you do it right, it can become inevitable. You know, if you study for a class and you love the process of learning that material, you finish the class, your outcome is you get an A. In a bike race, it doesn't work like that, right? You train, 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 and you can only control yourself. You have no control over anybody else in the bike race. So your outcome is never a given, right? Because it's a, you know, the outcome is affected by all these other people. So you have to love the process because sometimes the outcome doesn't work out probably more, many more times than, than not. Um, I've been fortunate in the, some of the rides I've done that the outcome has been inevitable. You know, the, the first time I set the course record at the world six hour time trial championships, there was no course record in that category. That was a no brainer. Second year I beat it. So that was good. When I set the track record at the San Diego Velodrome, there was no track record. So now I'm going out in about two months to beat it. But then I started really, really looking at process versus outcome. And I was like, outcome, who cares? Got third in the race, who cares? Got fourth, who cares? I won it, who cares? But then through lots of hard work and lots of, you know, looking at this from different angles with, you know, different people helping and coaches and, it really got to a point where that lit up a light bulb one day that said, that is a complete and total cop-out. Living for process only without regard for the outcome is a cop-out because it means if you get second, you can say, well, I don't care. I don't give a shit. It was the process I loved. But what I'm finding now is the pro- the outcome matters. I want the outcome and wanting the outcome is driving me to train harder and driving me to train harder, knowing that I've got a better shot at the outcome is making that harder training much more tolerable. And I don't want to say it's enjoyable because it's so hard, but, but tolerable in the best possible way. So I think I'm, I'm slowly over the year years or year really losing that concept that process is everything and outcome is just a side effect and now i'm more about outcome is everything and process is everything and they go really well together mm. um so it's been a big change for me as an athlete to to go down this road and it also puts a lot more pressure on me to show up at a race or an event 
well-prepared, well-nutritioned, well-rested, you know, my head on screwed on right, all of that, because outcome matters. Mm. Personally, outcome matters. Can you explain to my listeners the pros and cons of self-coaching as opposed to having a mentor? Yeah, self-coaching is a disaster. Next question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't know. There are people in the world who can do it, who can self-coach. I'm not one of them. I'm not either. Uh, You know? um, I had someone teach me this. So, and it took a long time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people are are around to share their knowledge. That's Mm -hmm. one thing, right? Self-discovery is awesome. You learn it really, really well. You get to make lots of mistakes and mistakes teach you a ton. But, you know, you can spend decades trying to do something that a coach can help you with in a couple of weeks just because you don't know what you don't know. So, you know, that's kind of the place I live with being coached, which is what I don't know, I don't know. Mm. And, you know, every week I get a series of workouts and I'm kind of, you know, I don't really overthink it. You know, I look at it and say, okay, that one's going to be hard or that one's going to be easier. And then I just do it. And I know that if I show up and I do that process that the coach provides for me is somebody who really knows how to get my body, my physiology, my mental state, my nutrition, my weight, all of that to the next level. Then if I do what he says, I'll get there. Right. 99% of the time. If I do it myself, it's so easy. Like today's a really crappy day here, right? It's cool and it's gray and it's ugly. And it'd be an easy day to just say, screw it. You know, I'm going to watch, you know, last week's Formula One race on Sydney's bag of popcorn. <laughs> but, you know, the accountability that comes from a coach, the, the knowing that he's going to look at the workouts, that he's going to look at my notes, he's going to send notes back, that we're going to talk every couple of weeks about exactly what's going on. That part of it, I think that's just invaluable. And, you know, something like what I'm working on, this hour record, requires a village, like a huge village, right? I'm working with, you know, on and off a sports nutritionist, a sports psychologist, the coach, um, you know, different body workers and massage, all this other stuff that's part of it, part of this village that you create. The coach to me is kind of at the center of it. It's kind of the, you know, the the CEO of the whole mess. Right. So I don't know if that made sense or if no, it, it makes sense. no, it makes too sense. random. But that's that's kind of how I feel about it. You know, it's funny. I've been doing this now for four years, but before I did this show, I did digital editing for, gosh, nearly ten years. Someone took the time to teach me the foundation, the principle, the theory of it all, and it, it, here I am now. I'm one of the best, you know, in the business of doing it. So it's, I 100% agree. The more you have, you like self-teaching is fine, but having someone who's smarter than you, that's how you basically expand your knowledge base. That's how I always look at it. I so. think it also, Derek, I think it also comes back to outcome too. If yeah. you really don't care about the outcome, then don't worry about the process. Just go have fun. Yeah. If you want some outcome, like in your case, you know, a strong, yeah. powerful show that people listen to, or in my case, you know, you know, some modicum of success on a, on a bicycle, um, you need guidance. You just need help. And, you know, we found that in scuba too. So, you know, in the scuba company that I own, the 
traditional scuba model is you go to a dive shop and you pay a bunch of money and you take a two weekend class and you're certified. We took a, the coaching model that I'm using on the bike, which is daily workouts populated into a calendar every week, uh, interaction with a coach, homework, all that other stuff. And we are teaching scuba in that model. As far as we know, no one's really ever done it before. So, you know, of course, we're pushing an elephant uphill. Mm-hmm. But it's really interesting. It's been so wildly successful with our students to um, come into a coaching program without, it, it used to be, don't worry about the outcome. Now it's like, yeah, you need the outcome. You need that certification card. But if you do the process, love the process, enjoy the process, live with the accountability that you have with a coach, the outcome at that point becomes inevitable. Mm-hmm. But if you do the work, the outcome's inevitable. With scuba, it's been amazing because we've slowed this process of learning different elements of scuba diving down from like a weekend to maybe four months, six months. I've had people in the program for, you know, coming on two years um, and people's goals change. And we, the coaches change with those goals. We had one person started as a recreational client, moved on to become a technical diving client with us and is now in our leadership coaching program and you know is on his way to becoming an instructor two years two and a half years and what we can do with people in that time frame training them so far out of the box of what is normally taught in a four-day class it's crazy how powerful this thing is that's awesome yeah same thing that i'm doing on the bike but just different model so I told my listeners that you were coming on the show, and I asked them to submit some questions. I chose the most intelligent of them. <laughs> um, the first question comes from a fan in Brisbane, Australia, and it says, as a scuba diver, are you always conscious of sharks, and have you ever had a scary encounter? Um, yeah, I've seen a lot of sharks in the water, and I've never had a scary ac- encounter because... You know, I don't surf and look like a penguin or something. Um, And in San Diego, we're careful because every five or 10 years, one pops up and takes a bite out of somebody. But sharks tend to like things that they can eat, which is, you know, small flappy things on the surface. They can come up from underneath. They tend not to bother scuba divers. I was teaching a class once in the Red Sea. And I had a group of students who were doing no mask drills, which means there were two of them together with a teammate who had a mask, two didn't. The two who didn't have a mask can't see. And there were like three sharks that were all around. And these guys without the mask had no clue. They were just doing their thing and doing their stuff. And it was all fine. The three or four of us who had masks on were like, oh, shit. <laughs> so, yeah. So, um, no. Yeah. So the second question comes from a listener in Massachusetts, and he says, when you are under the water, how peaceful is it for you, and do you have a a moment of zen? You know, yes. I spend a lot of my time in the water teaching, right? So I'm working in the water a lot, and I try to get one or two completely recreational, shallow trips in, often with my wife, where we can go to Cozumel or Red Sea or some super peaceful place with warm water. 
drift diving, especially in Mexico, is amazing because you don't do anything. You just literally hang there and the world takes you by. Diving, of course, physically is the opposite of cycling, right? You're trying to get your heart rate down, not up. Somebody recently described, was talking about meditation and, you know, described things like diving and cycling alone and stuff, not meditation, but meditative. And I find that, you know, a lot in both both endeavors, you know, riding on the track by myself in the morning, it's beautiful. It's not a meditation, but it's meditative. And diving in beautiful water, seeing beautiful fish and beautiful reefs and no cell phones and no computers and no communications. It's wonderfully meditative. So yes. This next question comes from a member of my team. Um, he is also a fellow cyclist. What emotions do you feel when you're on the bike? I mean, when you're when you're going and you're going all out, what emotions are you feeling? Uh, none. Because that's work. Mm-hmm. On the bike at that level is work. So what little brain power is left, you know, because your brain is the largest user of glucose and carbs in your body. Um, What's left in my brain is technique, traffic, power, coordination. Where am I going? Where's the turn? What's happening around me? So unless I'm on a little fun ride where I'm just, you know, chatting up, it's like having a beer. When I'm working on the bike, I'm working on the bike. Are you Eclipse? You, you, are you a clip person? On the pedals. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the last fan question comes from a listener in Brazil and it says, has there ever been a moment when you or someone has been close to getting the bends? Now I had to Google what the bends was. So mm-hmm. I, I'm assuming you already know that question. Yeah. So the bends is decompression sickness. Yeah. And there are various forms of it. The most common one is um, related to the nitrogen coming out of your system too fast, right? Because as we go underwater, we increase pressure. As we increase pressure, our tissues load with more inert gas than we have at the surface, higher pressure inert gas. And as you come up, that inert gas has to go back out, has to equalize back out. If it comes out too fast, then um, the little molecules of nitrogen or helium can actually meet all their little friends and get together and make a bubble. And that bubble can actually block a little capillary. And that is, you know, one form of decompression sickness, which is slangly known as the bends. So um, I have been fortunate in that I've been careful and I've never, you know, through all my time as a deep tech diver and all that, never um, had an episode of the bends, but many of my friends have had various levels of decompression sickness and, uh, we have a thing called undeserved hits, which is you do everything right, but you get bent anyway. Mm. And that's the toughest one, you know, because you have no idea why. I've been on dives where three of us are fine and one gets a little bent and there's no reason for it. You know, I mean, there's a reason for it. We don't know what it is, you know, right. so, but, you know, care process versus outcome, right? You do your process right. You're hydrated. You're well-rested. You've eaten enough. You've eaten lots of carbohydrate. You're, you know, you're treating scuba diving like a sport. You do the profiles properly. It's, it's 99, 99, 99%. Okay. Hmm. So you do a lot of public speaking. What sort of ideas 
and lessons you promote to your audience? You know, right now I'm all over um, purpose, living with purpose. And um, with a buddy of mine, we started a project called the Institute of Purpose. And I just love the name. And we're developing content for people who have, for one reason or another, lost purpose. Um, either retired um, old or retired young. Lots of military people come out of the military, late 40s, and like, now what? Your life changes where you become a care partner for someone who gets ill. Or your life changes because, you know, your company folds and now you have no work. And, you know, you're looking at your spouse is going back to work and you're vacuuming the carpets. So I'm working a lot with audiences now on guiding people to figure out what their purpose is mm -hmm. and the institute of purpose we just got this going is is one way in which that's we, that it's a vehicle for us to be able to do that and to me it's really powerful because you need purpose right and even with this bike ride this hour record you know when i started the hour record it was very personal it's like i'm going to get this record i'm going to crush it and It'll be amazing. And then I realized maybe I should use this to help people. Maybe I should use this as a way to say, look, I'm 68. I'm working full time. You know, I do a ton of work for the local Parkinson's community here in town for a variety of reasons. And, um, and I'm trying this ridiculous bike ride. So there's a lot of drive that I have to get all of this stuff done, you know, these three projects, three jobs, basically scuba Parkinson's and, and, and the bike. And, you know, I never wake up in the morning and it's like, Oh shit, I wonder what I'm going to do today. Maybe I'll go weed the garden. It just doesn't happen. So that kind of drive, that kind of purpose and, and giving people the tools to figure out what they can do when their life changes. Uh, it's all a big part of speaking on purpose and, um, I'm I'm very excited about where this this little project, the Institute of Purpose, is going to go because I think it's going to be it's going to be powerful for a lot of people. So Ten thousand people a day are turning seventy in the U.S. You mentioned earlier that you were in the film industry. What are some notable works for you? Um, I did well. I did like a thousand commercials as a director cameraman over the years. So that was kind of the you know how to pay the mortgage and eat thing. But I had a when I was kind of fading out of commercials. Um, I had an opportunity to do a couple of amazing films. One of them was a, a small black and white picture directed by Eric Mendelssohn called Judy Berlin mm -hmm. with Edie Falco and Madeline Kahn and uh, Barbara Berry, Bob Dishy, um, and Mira was in that movie. And it was a beautiful film. It won the director's award at Sundance. It's probably my proudest feature. Um, it's hard to find. It's not streaming, but you can actually find the DVDs. So it's called right. Judy Berlin. And, and that was a wonderful, wonderful project. Um, the late, the late Madeline Kahn. She was uh, quite yeah. a woman. Oh my God. She was amazing. Yeah. She was just, um, you know, so much fun to have on set and so professional and so dialed in and, and just naturally funny. It was great That's to work awesome. with her. Yeah. All right. So what is next for you? Well, next for me is these next, you know, I'm 68. I want to hit this record when I'm 70. So I have two years on the bike of training. 
and that encompasses you know physical training mental training aerodynamic work getting the equipment dialed in so that's a big piece of it um the scuba company's on fire so you know that's going well and you know my work with the parkinson's community you know ties me up a lot and that's that's the place i'm really able to give back a lot to the world so Awesome. Yeah, I'm going to tick along and and hopefully we'll have another conversation in two years. Yeah, absolutely. So as we enter the final phases of this interview, I always like to ask one fun question. And based on what you do, this might be a little bit of a complex one, but what do you like to do for fun to unwind? I mean, when you're not on the bike, you're not diving, you know, what what do you like to do? What's your, what, are, what are your little pastime hobbies? I'm doing it. Bike, Parkinson's, scuba. Yeah. Somebody asked me why I don't retire. It's like, well, I do the exact same thing I'm doing now, but without the money. <laughs> so why would I do that? No, right. I'm having a blast. That's you know, awesome. I've got grandkids. I've got a great wife. I've got a fabulous place to live in San Diego. And, you know, I'm challenging myself every day uh, on different elements, physical, mental, emotional, all of that. And, you know, have an opportunity to help people, an opportunity to help myself, to get stronger, you know, stay fit. Yeah, no, nothing. This is this is it. This is what I would do. Awesome. Yeah. So what fun. would be the best, sorry. So what would be the best way for my listeners to follow your adventures online? Um, you know, they will be, sorry. Um, we'll be tracking this on the Institute of Purpose website. So that's one place, instituteofpurpose.org. There is a, a website, jeffsecondork.com that's available. And utdscubadiving.com is another one. So if you're interested in diving or the coaching program for diving, you know, we can talk about that. So there's lots going on around me, but, you know, my personal website and the Institute of Purpose website are really the, the best connections. I'm not much for Facebook, Twitter, that stuff. I just... I yeah. wish I wasn't. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's a, it's a necessary evil doing what I do. So. Yeah, I'm going to have to um, find a personal social media person or something. I don't know. Oh, they're a dime a dozen. Trust me on that. So, so I end my interviews with my favorite question. And the question is this, Jeff, if the entire planet was listening to this broadcast, what would be the one thing you would like to say to the people of earth? Mm, just say yes. Whatever the universe throws at you, say yes first. Perfect. Short and sweet. I love it. Jeff, this has been an absolute pleasure, and I want to thank you for taking the time out of your, I know, incredibly busy schedule to come on the show. And two years, I'm telling you right now, you 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 break it. You come on back on the show and tell us all about it, okay? I'll absolutely be there. Derek, I so appreciate you having me on the show, and, and uh, yeah, good on you. All right. And just like that, Duval Nation, we come to the end of episode 174. I want to thank Jeff for taking the time to come on the show today. What a great guest, and I meant what I said when he breaks that record. No, I said when, not if, when. When he breaks that record, I am hoping he comes back on the show to tell us all about it. But we are not done yet, folks. As a special treat to Duval Nation, I have enjoyed bringing guests back from past episodes, and today, this guest has a brand new single and music video to promote. That guest is friend of the show and a super, super sweet lady. Please welcome to the show, Michelle Fabre. (laughs) 
Good afternoon, Michelle. Welcome back to the Derek Duvall Show. How is the weather out by you today? It's super humid, but thank you so much for having me on your show again. I really appreciate it. Did you have a good 4th of July? I did. It was really nice spending time with family and finally taking a break from editing my music video, which is finally done. <laughs> when will we get to see it? Next week. Next week, I'm aiming to have it out by then. That's awesome. So tell us about the new single. My new single, I'm All That I Need, is really about independence and motivation and really just not relying on people and, you know, their thoughts of you and letting that hold you back or the limitations that anyone sets for themselves. That's amazing. Now, I've listened to it and I've actually listened to it now several times. And the single, we have a little teaser now that plays during my shows, which is one of my favorite little teasers. How long did it take you to make that song? It took about, I would say, maybe six months, maybe like five months, five, six months. And it's really interesting about that song is that it went through three different, um, I'll say like three different genres, I guess you could say, because it really went from like dance to then being maybe like more bubblegum pop to finally me <laughs> and calling the shots for it to be more like rock. So, um, yeah, this is really an interesting song. <laughs> what would you say your genre of music is exactly? Definitely commercial pop, but I think it's never been something that is just like strictly that. I think I've always had a, a major crossover of like rock, R&B, um, maybe some country, so I've heard. So I feel like that's what kind of makes it a bit more unique and my audience a bigger crossover. I've said it before and I'll say it again. When I listen to your music, I get real strong Blondie vibes. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, that's true. I can hear it. Yeah, I like Blondie. Blondie's awesome. So yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna lie to you. I get Blondie vibes when I listen to your music. So, but no, you know what? I honestly, the new song is great. I like I said, I own it. I I'm, I bought it. So you know, thank you. But no, um, I have to admit, honestly, it's it's a fun song. It's it's light. It's fun to listen to. So that being said, now you've got this song out. Now you've got the music video out. What next is? It? Is there a tour? There is a, a possible tour or even like doing, I've been looking into and discussing doing some uh, festivals, maybe, you know, in the New York area or at least, you know, within that area, possible fundraiser in the works. So fundraiser concert, I should say. <laughs> so what do you say festivals? Are, are we talking about music festivals or just like, okay. Yes. Music festivals. Yes. Okay. Is there a festival that exists that you just, like a dream festival you'd love to play like Lollapalooza or something like that? Yeah, I think those definitely, for sure. Um, one of those, um, I, I feel like it's also for me, at least like about like the lineup and who's going to be there. You know, I feel like that's because um, in a way, like their audience becomes your audience. So mm -hmm. you want some type of familiarity. <laughs> See, yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of like with the audiences, you know. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, it's funny, you know, networking in it with musicians, I sure is going to be like the one of the hardest things to do. But, you know, when you're trying to get established as a musician, how hard is it to get your name out there? Quite hard, um, especially because now, you know, with the Internet and everything, you're in a sea of like literally millions of people that can just like release music. So it doesn't really differentiate you. Um, that's the other problem that I feel with it is that I feel like so many artists are just kind of like all thrown together. There is no, um, you know, 
difference between them in a way as far as like uh you know one artist can be a little bit maybe you know longer ahead or more experienced so to speak than another artist and you don't really get that because anyone can really just release music so right on right on is there anybody that you would dream to open for right now uh probably uh sean mendez sean mendez if he ever uh goes on tour again i think um he may so i think he may go on tour in 2023 i'm not totally sure but yeah he goes on tour (laughs) so if you know and or you hear anything (laughs) that's awesome that's awesome all right well look you know i I've, i've known you now forever you've been one of my oldest guests on my show Keep doing what you're doing. You're, you. I know you're gonna make it. 100% know it. Just keep on fighting the good fight. And I know, honestly, just keep putting out damn good music because you're doing it, man. Thank you so much, Darren, for having me on. I really appreciate it. As a gift from Michelle Fabre to Duval Nation, here is the single "I'm All That I Need." It seems like it's deja vu. Don't come true Don't need your belief in me Jealousy is all I see Well some people say that they're on your side And then you find out it's just one big Thanks, Michelle, for coming back on the show. You can find Michelle and all of her work on michellefabre.com, and you can buy the song on iTunes or wherever you buy your music online. Okay, tune again next time as we showcase another extraordinary person. I have a really good one coming up in a few days, so be sure to keep checking your favorite podcast streaming channel for that episode to drop. Also, I think it's fair to ask you, the listener, have you enjoyed this episode, especially this one? 
I truly hope you have. So please go and hit that subscribe button to keep up to date for when new episodes drop. Also, if you're feeling generous, drop us a review. We love reading what our listeners have to say about us, good or bad. We are still enjoying our partnership with the amazing Tee Public. The Derek Duvall Show is a great little store on there with everything without a logo on it, including magnets, stickers, and mugs. Plus, we have some really fun t-shirts on there that Mrs. Duvall and I added ourselves. So please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com. Go to the banner on the left that says Merch. Click that, and you'll be taken to our store on Tee Public. And once again, I want to thank them for being such great partners with our show. On behalf of myself and the entire team here at the Derek Duvall Show, I want to say to each and every one of you listening... What are you doing to manage your mental health this weekend? May I suggest going for a long drive to an unknown destination? It's called exploration, folks. Indulge in a new restaurant in an area and taking some sights. Stepping out of your comfort zone is good for the soul sometimes. Nostar, God bless. And see you next time. Planet Earth. This has been a recording of The Derek Duvall Show, and we thank you for listening. Please go to our website, DerekDuvallShow.com, for links to merchandise and to explore past episodes. Please find us on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Derek Duvall Show.